you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning. Well, you may have noticed that Pastor Carrie and Megan are not here today. They are enjoying a much-deserved vacation. But for those of you that know them, which is probably all of you, they are missing you so bad. I already got text messages, international text messages this morning to say, make sure they know we miss them. So they send you their love, and we're so excited that they got this opportunity to get away for just a minute. Um, But as Pastor Megan just said, we have a special Sunday in store for you. Are you ready for this? For I get, that's right, that's right, 10 minutes each. It's going to be a great Sunday. But hey, you should know, I get the opportunity to introduce not only some three people that are going to rock your face off, but some people that also are some of my favorite people in the world personally. But as you also may have noticed, They were all up here on stage just a few minutes ago. So we had like shots of espresso in the back that they just like went down the line as they were coming out here. Like they are ready to go. But give it up for them as they come on stage, guys. Like lean in. I'm telling you, I've heard these messages. They're incredible. Lean in, laugh, tell them that's good, just like you would for Pastor Carrie and Megan, because trust me, it's going to be good. All right. Are you ready for a great day? All right. Well, up first. We have none other than Shayna Newman. I was about to say Lane. Come on, Shayna. This girl can do anything. Here she is. I was waiting for the intro music. I'm a little disappointed I didn't play. It's okay. <laughs> We're gonna, we'll forget about that. Well, my name is Shayna Newman, and I'm, uh, I'm so stuck to be here. But before I begin, I have to thank our amazing pastors, Pastor Carrie and Megan. They're not here, but it's an honor and a privilege to get to speak to you guys today. So thank you, Pastor Carrie and Megan. We love y'all. We hope you're having an amazing time on vacation. So how many of you guys have seen the movie Godzilla? Well, there's a scene in the movie where Godzilla is storming through the city. Buildings are being crushed underneath his feet. Everything he touches is obliterated. People are running and screaming for their lives. It's chaos everywhere. That was basically me as a child growing up. (laughs) I was a little ball of destruction, and whenever I was around, someone was going to get hurt. My mom told me a story. I was two years old, and I'd go on play dates with my cousin, and I'd get so excited to see him that I'd run. I was a fat baby, so I'd kind of waddle up and blindside tackle him to the ground. Then he'd start crying, and I'd get annoyed that he started crying, so I'd sit on him, which would make him cry more because I was twice his size, even though he was older than me. Needless to say, I was not a gentle baby growing up. Unfortunately, not much has changed. Y'all pray for my husband. But you can imagine my reaction when Pastor Carrie and Megan asked me to speak on gentleness. Real talk, y'all, I legitimately thought, Gentleness is the least valuable fruit of the Spirit. Like, who needs gentleness unless you're a nursing mother? And I don't have kids, nor do I really like babies, so what do I need gentleness for? Don't judge me. I told you, real talk, okay? You know, but as I began studying for this message, I realized my thoughts were not that far off from how society is today. See, we live in a society that says aggressiveness and cutthroat competition are what it takes to succeed. We've heard, fight your way to the top. If you want it, take it. We've all heard the old saying, nice guys finish last. 
Unfortunately, our world has lost the importance of gentleness. But I want to challenge you guys with something. God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. So the fact that he placed gentleness as one of only nine fruits of the Spirit shows the importance that he has on this characteristic. And if we're going to be all that he's called and created us to be, we need to redefine and revalue gentleness. So the verses everyone's been speaking from are Galatians 5, 22 through 23, which lists out the fruit of the Spirit, and gentleness is number eight on that list. Now, some of you may or may not know, but the Bible wasn't actually written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. So the Greek word for gentleness here is praotes. And praotes is actually defined by two words, meekness and gentleness. See, gentleness alone refers to actions, our external behavior, whereas praotes refers to the state of a heart and mind. It's our internal attitude. Unfortunately, though, today both meekness and gentleness carry a stigma of cowardliness and weakness, but this word couldn't be further from the truth. See, gentleness is not weakness. It's not being a doormat. It's not being less than or even thinking of yourselves less than others. In fact, this word was used by the Greeks to describe their most prized possession, a warhorse. See, when the Greeks could take a warhorse that had the power to propel a thousand pounds over 35 miles per hour and get it to obey at just the whisper of a touch, they described that horse as praotes. Gentleness is not weakness. It's power under God's control. It's when you're in the middle of a fight with your spouse and you want to lash out, but instead you hold your tongue. It's when you're really frustrated with your coworkers and instead of making fun of them behind their back, you try to understand where they're coming from. It's encouraging and it's showing grace to others instead of cutting them down. See, it takes true strength to be gentle. But remember, this word praotes doesn't just describe our external behavior. It's a state of our heart and mind. See, when we have a spirit of gentleness, it combats our natural tendency to compare and compete. In James 3, 13 through 17, the Bible says, Who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And verse 16 says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Guys, that's kind of intense. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I want to ask you guys something today. Are there areas in your life where jealousy or selfish ambition have begun to take root? See, it starts so unknowingly. Maybe it's that coworker who got the promotion you wanted, and now you can't look at them without feeling resentment. Maybe it's the mom in the pickup line who has the nicest clothes, the brand new car, her kids look so well behaved. You look at your kids, they're walking out with no pants on. <laughs> Maybe it's on social media. Your friend who just got engaged or bought their first house or had their first baby. And you're looking at your life saying, what am I doing? See, we begin to compare and compete. We start striving to get ahead in whatever ways we can. But look at verse 17. It says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, there's that word, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. See, gentleness is saying, I know that God is in control, 
so I don't have to hustle to prove my worth. One definition of gentleness I read says, restraining one's own power to allow room for others. I love that. It's not diminishing the strengths God's given you, but it's knowing that your identity is not defined by how good or how awful you are compared to someone else. And when we know that, we can step back and allow people to step into the calling God has for them. We can be truly excited when someone succeeds in an area that we seem to be struggling so hard at. We can truly have a spirit of gentleness. Now, I know this is a lot easier said than done. So how do we begin to grow in gentleness? Well, I'm not a farmer, but I know that fruit doesn't grow by waking up in the morning saying, I'm going to try really, really, really hard to get bigger today. I'm going to strive to get a little bit more of the sun. Maybe I'll grow just a little bit bigger. No, that's ridiculous. Fruit grows by just remaining attached to the vine or the branch. And in the same way, the fruits of the Spirit grow within us when we remain attached to Jesus. See, fruit isn't achieved by working. It's birthed by abiding. And in John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So what does that look like? It's just daily in the morning saying, Jesus, I need you. It's waking up and going through the step program that we have laid out for you. It doesn't have to be five hours of reading your Bible. It could be five minutes. But it's saying, God, will you help me to be gentle today? Will you help me to have an attitude of gentleness towards my coworkers, towards my family, towards my friends? And then God will do it. He'll work inside of you. He'll give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's just when we abide in Jesus that it grows. And then throughout the day, it's just a conscious decision. It's in situations praying and asking for gentleness. You know, it's responding to your employee with compassion instead of reacting with criticism. Or, this is a hard one, it's truly being excited for someone who got the answer to prayer that you've been praying years for. Someone who got that extra bonus when you're struggling to just pay your next paycheck or your next bills. But when we have a spirit of gentleness, we can really be excited for someone because we know, again, that our value doesn't come from how better or worse we are than anybody else, but our value comes from Jesus, and that can't be changed. And the incredible thing is, God promises the kingdom to those who are gentle and meek. In Matthew 5, 5, it says, blessed are the meek, and some versions say gentle, it's the same word, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, that's kind of countercultural today. Think of Steve Jobs, one of the most successful CEOs of our time, and I'm sure the first word that comes to mind when you think of him is not gentleness. We don't equate gentleness with success or even with leadership. But God places extreme value on gentleness because he wants to know that he can trust us with power. Remember, it's power under God's control. So unlike today's society, which no longer understands the strength of gentleness and therefore doesn't pursue it, God shows us that it is only those strong in him who are gentle. It's a mark of a follower of Christ and something that we need to grow in daily. Thank you. Nice. I love that. Gentleness is power under control. So good, Shana. Thank you for sharing. Well, up next, I get the honor and privilege to introduce to you the hottest guy in this room, my husband, Pastor Scott Gordy.
I, I would have worn my Star Wars shirt if I had known that they were going to play Star Wars music for me. Uh, it's an honor to be up here this morning. Um, I can't tell you um, what it means to me to be trusted by our senior leadership to be here to talk to you this morning because you are that valuable to us as the Movement Church. I am going to talk to you guys about everyone's favorite fruit of the Spirit, and I mean everyone's. We're going to talk about patience. Come on, cheer. Come on, cheer. I wasn't expecting any cheers, let me be completely honest. Um, my patience is notorious for living longer than an iPhone battery. Um, personally, um, it's, not, it's not that good, in my opinion. So um, let's start this out the way I like to start things out. So once upon a time, <laughs> in a galaxy not so far away, there was a man in a grocery store who happened to notice a woman and her three-year-old girl shopping. Now, they're in the cookie aisle, so of course the little girl right away, Mommy, cookies, cookies! Mom goes, no, no cookies today. And the little girl starts to whine and complain because she wants some cookies. And the mom says quietly, it's okay, Ellen. Just halfway through the store, just a little bit more, and we'll be on our way home. A couple aisles later, the man catches up with the woman again, and the little girl sees it's the candy aisle. Oh my goodness, she wants some candy. What kid doesn't want candy? I mean, come on. But of course, mom has to be strong through the whining and complaining. And she has to say, no candy today. And the little girl starts crying and screaming. And the mom goes, it's okay, Alan. Two more aisles, we'll be checking out, and we'll be on our way home. The gentleman winds up behind them again at the checkout line. There's gum there, and candy, and cookies, and all the world's greatest things. And of course, the little girl wants some. So the mom has to one more time go no, and this time, full-blown tantrum. I want candy, cookies, gum, now. Three years old. You know how it goes. I don't know. I actually have a two-year-old, almost three years old. <sighs> Pray for us. He loves life so much. <clears throat> um, and uh, the mom, one more time. Ellen, five minutes, we'll be through checkout. We'll be in the car on our way home. It'll be nap time. Things will be great. So the gentleman is so intrigued, so impressed, that he follows the lady out to the parking lot and says, Ma'am, you did so good in there. You were so patient with little Ellen. She goes, This is Tammy. I'm Ellen. So, but honestly though, don't you feel like that sometimes? We've all been there, but don't worry, there's good news. The Bible says in Romans 5, 3 through 4, we also have joy with our troubles because we know that these troubles produce patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. So without the troubles, you'll have trouble finding hope. So, it's critical. So, um, Reverend Dr. George Campbell Morgan, um, late 19th century, early 2000s, I'm gonna read you a quote from him. Uh, he was a British, British evangelist and preacher and leading Bible scholar at the time. He said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. 
And third, the ability to do nothing until that command is given. That's hard. That's not easy. Uh, there's really no doubting, no disputing that a Christian should be patient. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. God put it there because we know that we must be patient. But sometimes we have to pray like this. God, bless me with patience. Uh, not the opportunities to be patient, because we've done that and it doesn't work. Actually, give me the patience, please. I think we don't understand what patience is. I think that's where the miscommunication is in that particular prayer. So what is patience? Let me give you a few words. Patience is perseverance, persistence, endurance, tenacity, application, staying power, determination, and resolve. Now, when I was reading these words, there's one thing that really stuck out to me. Patience, and all of these words have two things in common. First, it's active. Patience is active. It's not passive. Um, I actually never thought of patience being active. I always wrongly thought of patience being some sort of state of uh, passive waiting. But patience actually isn't that at all. It's actually a strong sense of self-control while acting in love towards others. Not being a pushover or an enabler like the mother in the story. She actually had to hold her ground, but she still had patience through love with her child. It's also um, about pointing people back to God and about helping them grow also. All of that plays into the one fruit of patience. So that's why I like it so much. It's so important. It's so important, just like me. I'm so important today. It's so good. So, um, I'll help you understand society today. Um, two frogs. I love uh, frogs. Frogs are awesome. No, they're not. But that's why I chose them for this story. Two frogs are hanging outside of a bowl, and they both fall in. One of the frogs um, immediately gets discouraged. The walls are high. He's lactose intolerant. There's cream in the bowl. Uh, so he's getting kind of sick. He's blaming the other frog for pushing him in, even though they were on opposite sides of the bowl. So he decides to just give up. He sinks to the bottom and dies. That's so exciting, right? <laughs> but the other frog, he, um, he's not going to give up. He's determined. I'm going to swim as hard as I can, and something might happen. It just might. I'm going to not give up. I'm going to practice patience and perseverance. And he starts kicking and churning as hard as he can, and after a while, he finds he's actually standing on a platform of solid butter. And he hops out of the bowl. And it's just fine. Patience is active. You actually get to choose how you handle patience. And really, every scenario in life, it all comes down to choice. Your choice. You can blame others. You can hold a victim mentality. And you can drown and die in your own sorrows. That's your choice. But you could keep kicking and churning, and that cream that you fell into, A, it's really awesome cream, and B, it turns into butter and provides you your way out. It's your leverage onto your next challenge. It's your hope. Second, patience is strong. It's not weak. This is a huge misconception. Um, I believe that patience has been domesticated and pacified so much that it's often thought of as weak. Patience is not a domestic thing. It's a thing that we're built with. It's active. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, uh, let's do a sports analogy. Football. I love football, personally. Uh, I do a Monday Night Connect group every, 
every spring, uh, summer, fall, fall semester that's coming up right now. Just letting you know, it's awesome. Um, but in football, the hardest job on the field is a running back, in my opinion. He has to face down 11 guys who want nothing more than to knock him on his butt and make sure he doesn't move forward. That's his job, to run at those guys. Good news for him, he has a coach and a team who are on his side helping him. So the play gets called, co coach calls in the play, quarterback says, okay guys, this is what we're gonna do, everybody goes to their position. Does he lay down on the ground and start uh, surfing Twitter, Instagram? What does he do, Josh? He gets in the ready position and waits. He's just sitting there waiting. He's looking around. He's not doing nothing. He's surveying this defense. Maybe he'll see something that'll help him break free. Maybe his quarterback will. His quarterback is actually the guy who has the ability to do something that's called an audible. For those of you who don't know what that is, they get the play. Oh, this play's not going to work. They're lined up in a, you know what? We're going to change the play. We're going to call an audible. We're going to change it. I think if we do it this way, it'll be better. Ready? Go. And at the moment, that ball is snapped. That running back has one job. Hold the ball. Don't fumble it. And run forward as hard as you can. And make something happen. Now, in these scenarios, you have to know that that defense is sometimes going to win. It's okay. You're going to get knocked down. You don't score a touchdown on every play. You can't. We're not built that way. We're built so that troubles generate hope. So when we run into that defensive line and we see what's going on, we have a choice right then. We can try to run around them. We can do something else that's not in the play, and we lose all of our protection of our coach and our team. Or we can follow the play and run the play that God has called for us. He's the coach. And your senior leadership at your church and the senior leadership in your life, they're your quarterback. So run the ball as God has called you to do. So the promise today, the one thing I want you to remember, the thing that I wouldn't survive if you didn't remember today after all of this, is that the promise from the passage today is that troubles produce patience. Patience produces character, and character produces hope. So practice patience so that your hope can grow. Thank you. That's so good. Patience is active and strong. I love it. All right, last up, the one, the only, Pastor Jeremy. You guys better be, like, screaming for him. It's going to be so good, guys. Hey, hey. <laughs> That's been great. Like, seriously, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to follow uh, Shana or, or Pastor Scott. Like, I don't know how to do that, but it's so good, right? They have been so good. So good. <laughs> and that's actually, that's actually what I want to talk to you about, is uh, my fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Um, you know, we, I, think we, I think we actually overuse the word good. Um, I actually think that we've lost all definition of what the word good actually means. Like, I don't even think the, uh, the dictionary understands <laughs> what the word good means. And some of you guys are looking at me like, what are you talking about? But if you look in the dictionary... You can look up good or goodness, and, and you'll find categories with, um, you'll find different categories for the word, three or four different uses or illustrations of the category. And I honestly believe that this is what has caused us to start not defining good in the way that we're supposed to. Because what we do is we actually define goodness in our lives. Um, we, we do that according to preference and not what God's word says. 
We define goodness in our lives on what we preference as amazing, what culture tells us is amazing, what social media tells us is amazing. This is what we define goodness as, but the, pr- the, the problem with that is that God defines it in a completely separate and completely different way. And I'm going to show, show you how God defines it, how he defines the good life. In Genesis 1.31, it says that uh, God saw all that he made. So he's, he's making, he's, he's creating all of creation. And it says that he saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. Why was it very good? It was very good because it was doing what it was created to do. It was operating in the purpose that God had created for it. That's why it was, it was, it was operating in the goodness and the way that it was supposed to be. Does that make sense? This is why, this is why, and this is what God's definition of goodness is. And so, so my question is, what does God intend for, for the good life to look like in your life? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, but what does God intend for that to look like? Well, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. There's a problem, though. There's a problem. The problem is that we were not naturally born good. We weren't, and I can prove it, because if you have kids in this room, we've talked about kids multiple times, but if you have kids in this room, I did not have to train my kid to be an idiot when, when it was born. You can't call your kid an idiot. Yes, I can. <laughs> he's my kid. And I don't think he's an idiot. I don't think she's an idiot. Listen, what I mean by that is that I didn't have to teach them how to whine and cry and throw a fit. And I think if we're all realistic in the room, I think all of us are still kind of like that. (laughs) A lot of us have not grown up past that, right? And so I didn't have to teach him how to do those things. I didn't have to teach my daughter how to do those things. So we are not naturally good. So how do How do we become good the way that God says we're supposed to be good? Well, I'm going to give you three things. Is that okay? Three things. The first one is you have to spend time in the Word of God. You have to. You have to. Um, You'll become what you focus your attention on. That's what will happen. You'll, You'll transform. You become the environment that you put yourself in, right? Like, I, 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 um, I believe that you have two sources to develop your values from. You can, either de- you can develop them from the world or you can develop them from the word. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Well, you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't understand the Bible. Well, I would, I would react in saying that you did not know how to do math when you went to school for the first time, right? And, and you did not walk into your math class, and you did not go, you know what? Forget one plus one. I really want to do calculus. Why? Because you would have never been able to do it, ever. You have to start with one plus one. You have to begin somewhere. The truth is that, is that something is better than absolutely nothing. Even if you don't understand everything, look, the practical thing to do is grab a Bible, grab a translation. If you, don't un- if you don't know how or you don't know what kind of translation you want, listen, we'll help you. We'll help you find one. There's great translations of the Bible that you could, you could possibly understand, but start getting in what, words, uh, what the Word of God says because you have to have that in your life, 
right? You have to have that in your life. The second thing is you have to guard your mind. You have to guard your mind. If you want to do good, you have to start by learning to control what goes on in your thoughts. You have to sin, poor choices, insecurities, temptations, all these things start with your thoughts. And, th- and some things just aren't worth thinking about. They're just not worth thinking about. Look at what uh, Philippians 4.8 says. Um, I don't know if they have it on the screen. They probably don't because I didn't turn my notes in. You're welcome. <laughs> Philippians 4.8 <laughs> says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, if there's anything or any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. Now, uh, what I do want you to understand is I'm not advocating an irresponsible mindset. I'm not saying that you should not think about the things that are necessary in your everyday life. What I am saying is that you should not think on those things if it causes dysfunction, if it causes you to, uh, if it fuels your insecurity, if it fuels confusion, you don't need to think on those things. You don't need to. You need to concentrate on what's peace and what's good. Well, how do I do that? Start by just waking up and going, God, I am so glad that I'm alive. Well, I'm not glad I'm alive. Well, be thankful that when it rained last night, it didn't rain on you. I don't know. Find something to be thankful for. Does that make sense? Because if you think on the things that, you, that, that God intends you to think about, listen, that, 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 that's what guards your heart and your mind. That's what keeps the stuff that doesn't need to be in your mind out of your mind. And it's going to be something that's constant too. You're going to have to continually do it, but you have to guard your mind. You have to guard your thoughts. And the, the third thing is dare to be different. You've got to dare to be different than what culture tells you that you need to be. This is what, it, listen, this is what the good life to God looks like. It's challenging and it is, it's exciting. You get, in, you get in the word, you guard your heart, and you've got to dare to be different. You have to. God has not called you to look like, ev- to look like everything else. Can you, can you reach the world? Absolutely. Is it okay to go to a movie? Yes. Is it okay to listen to secular music? Yeah. It's okay. Truthfully, Christian music may not be as good. <laughs> Production-wise, I'm just saying. I'm just going to say it. Everyone's thinking it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> but, listen, you got to dare to be different. Look what John 3, uh, 3, 3 John 1, 11 says. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. And what this reminds me of, there's a story uh, in Scripture, and I'm just going to briefly touch on it. And it's about three Israelite boys. And they, King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to get them to worship him. They were praying to God. And they were different. They were different. And Nebuchadnezzar was like, listen, you boys, you're going to do what I say. And when you hear the music, you're going to worship me. Or I'm going to kill you. You know, like, hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> going to kill you. It's okay to laugh in church. <laughs> and they were like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. 
So Nebuchadnezzar brings them to the fiery furnace, and, and it says in Scripture that it heated it up so hot that the bodyguards, when they opened the furnace, just dropped dead. That'd be like you opening the oven after you cooked cookies and just like, dead. <laughs> Done. Like, that's intense. That is intense. Just done. And then they th- he throws, throws the three boys in the fiery furnace. And I love what happens next. The king looks at the furnace and goes, wait. There were, there were three. Why are there four? Now, they're in the furnace. They're in the fire. And I know I've ran out of time. Clock. <laughs> I'm having a moment. <laughs> and, yeah. He looks at the furnace and, He goes, I thought there were just three. And that's not the good life for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not the good life. That's not what the good life looks like. Right? Could you you agree with me? They're in fire. (laughs) They're in, like, that's not good. However, I want to point out something very, 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 very important. The fire of the furnace was never for them. The fire of the furnace was so a king could see Jesus because they dared to be different. Do you want to know what the difference is between someone who comes to church and says they're a Christian and then someone who goes out and lives it and dares to be different? That when you're in the fire and you're walking around in trials at your job and at school and at work and people look and go, I see Jesus because the way you respond in the fire could be the difference between if someone sees Jesus or doesn't. So will you dare to be different today? Because God has a purpose and a call and he has a destiny on the inside of your life. You were not made to wake up and go to bed and get one step closer to death. That is not what you were created to do. You were created to operate and function within the call and the purpose God has for you. And that's going to involve fire, and it's going to involve tribulation, and it's going to involve seasons that just honestly suck. However, if you're obedient, they'll see Jesus. And that's the good life. That's the good life. And just right now, can we just bow our heads real quick? If you say, we've talked about goodness and we've talked about, gosh, we've talked about patience. We've talked about gentleness. And if you say, Jeremy, I just, I struggle with one of these three things. It's just struggling. You know, I'm going, I'm going through a furnace right now, and it's just crazy, and I'm struggling with all three of these things or one of these three things. Could you just raise your hand? Could I just, real quick, this is all over the room. I just want to pray a prayer just real quick. 
Just pray for all of us. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you are the God of the furnace. You're the God of the mountaintop. That you are God in our weakness and uh, when we don't know what to do. And Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just show us how to operate the way that you want us to operate and do the things you want us to do. We love you so much. And Father, I thank you that you have a purpose and a destiny for every individual in this room. And Father, that you're going to be the strength when they're walking through the the trials or, or the stuff that they might be walking through. God, we love you so much. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So good. I had to even stop taking notes because I was so engrossed. Thank you for that. Only Pastor Jeremy Parham can do three notes in ten minutes. Ish. Ish. That's fine. But hey, right here, we want to pause and just take a minute to offer up a free pass into what Jeremy just said is the good life. I think a lot of you immediately identified that with that when he said that. But for those of you that are like, I don't, I don't understand all this thing. I don't, I don't think I understand. This whole idea of this sermon series is based on Galatians 5.22, where it lists out the nine fruits of the Spirit. We happened to be reading Galatians 5, if any of you are step reading with us. If you're not, text read to our number. You'll find it on the screen at some point in service and join us. But right after, in verse 23, 22 is all nine traits. 23 says, but all of this is hopeless through legalism, saying you can try and do it on your own. You can try and follow the rules, but it's not going to work out for you without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the good life. So for those of you in this room that are just feeling that urge and that understanding that God is real, it's not by accident that you're here today. The Bible says that Jesus came down and paid the, the price for all of your bad decisions, all of your shame and your guilt. He's already paid that price. There's no one in here that's too far gone, that's made too many bad decisions. Jesus paid the price for you. And all you have to do is say it. I believe, and I accept that. So if that's you, we're all going to bow our heads and close our eyes with no one looking around. And pray, that, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for paying that price for me. I give you all my heart for all my life, and I ask that you would come in and change me from the inside out so that I can live the good life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.